0: You are listening to Flipping the Narrative. Come and flip with us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Flipping the Narrative. Today, we're
1: going to be talking about something that is actually really close to my heart, and I'm super excited about our guests today. But basically, we're going to be talking about, as Filipinos, why does race matter? And as we were talking about this early on and, you know, me sort of introducing this, one of the things I really remember was how absent Race was when I was growing up in the 80s in Manila. Like, it just wasn't talked about at all. I mean, we would hear occasionally, you know, hero stories of Muhammad Ali or the thriller in Manila or, um, I don't know, Martin Luther King, right? But all sort of in this very vague, aren't they great kind of thing? (laughs) You know, these are heroes that you study in school. I know we have a rich history, actually, of alliance across races. But I only learned that when I was older. I only learned about the buffalo soldiers in the Philippines. I only learned that we were called monkeys and negritos when I was much, much older. All of that I learned when I was much older. And so I think this is an experience that Bambina and Luis and I have talked about sharing. Plus the fact that because it was so absent from our upbringing, we also didn't talk about our own internal differences, either colorism but also our relationship with our erased siblings, our Aita, brothers and sisters, our indigenous siblings. And then we had our own issues with, you know, say, Chinois versus Mestizos versus Indian, Filipinos, etc. So that's really what this is about today. And I'm super, super excited. And to introduce our guests, I'm going to pass on over to you, Bams.
0: Hi, everyone. Nice to see you again, Lila and Vince. These are two of my favorites. Um, Oh my God, I'm such a fan. It's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) To say they're my favorite academics would be actually to just limit them to like the category of nerds and geeks, which is unfair, which is totally unfair. But I mean, I totally love them and I could... Listen to them all the, all the time. We've also had dinners, one or two dinners with them that have lasted more than you know several hours. So um, Vince Raphael is a professor of history at the University of Washington in Seattle, whose particular areas of interest include race and ethnicity, empire and colonialism, which is perfect for today's mm. discussion. And Lila Shahani is a journalist, academic, civil servant, and former UNESCO Philippine Secretary General. So, Lila and Vince are a couple and they are joining us from Seattle, where they've been based for the last couple of years. Say hi, guys.
1: Welcome. Hi, everybody. So nice to be here. So, clearly, everyone who's listening, clearly, we're punching way above our weight here, huh, with our guests.
2: No, it's so, so yeah, great no. to be here. Great to see Bambina and Laura and Luis, I hope I get to meet you in person one day.
3: Oh. I'm, sure, I'm sure we will. <laughs> I'm excited about this too.
1: So let's start now, guys. Okay, so Lila and Vince, you guys are sort of in, in right in the heart of, of really what we're talking about today, right? From a, from a philosophical, historical standpoint. But did you guys, growing up in Manila... Have the same or similar experience to the one I described earlier? Na parang I don't know. It wasn't such a thing.
4: Well, I, I think Leela should address that because she didn't really grow up. In no, Vince should start
2: first. And just,
4: be <laughs> just
2: more complicated. Yeah.
4: <laughs> okay. That, that's true. That's true because Leela, you know, breaks all these barriers. She's not. She's neither an immigrant. She's lived her life as an expatriate, and that mm-hmm. that brings with it a whole range of other experiences. I mean, in my case, I guess I'm a lot more similar, perhaps to to Laura, and I, I don't know, perhaps, Luis, I spent the first uh, 23 years of my life growing up in Manila, and then, uh, of course, I moved to the U.S., but it wasn't so much that race wasn't talked about. It was, uh, I think, a more interesting question is how it was talked about. Hmm. Race was always in the atmosphere. It was always in the, you know, it was always around. It always swirled around. Uh, it, your yaya always warned you about, you know, the Bombay who was going to come and get <laughs> mm-hmm. you if You Didn't Come In. There were these songs about the Chinese, the Inchik Beho, and so on. And there was all kinds of races that went on about the Chinese. Uh, of course, there was always uh, sort of anti-black yeah, uh, references. Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Ramsey came on television. Mm, and that's watched, like, right. Oh, that's right. And yeah, you know, people would make fun of her, and mm. you saw these people in film and so forth and so on. Race always swirled about about, about you know how how smelly the Arab guy was mm. you know, walking by and so forth. The culture was permeated by racial stereotypes. Um, Hmm. It had a very, very long history. And and what's really interesting is to track this history, as as I do, because I'm not a historian. It's kind of your career. So you saying this, I actually
1: do this for a living, is is not an exaggeration.
4: (laughs) And as far as I know, uh, the question of race and the practice of racism has a very long history. I mean, certainly... Spanish colonial period, with the segregation of the Chinese, their treatment as an assimilable foreign yet Mm -hmm. necessary presence. Uh, So, you know, they were segregated in Arian, they were segregated, they were reorganized in Benonga, they were entire colonial colonial policies around controlling their bodies, regulating their marriages. There were also elaborate racial hierarchies, for example, very interesting... Uh, distinctions the Spaniards made between peninsulares and insulares, that is to say, Mm -hmm. Spaniards born in Spain versus Spaniards born in the Philippines who were considered insulares or creoles and that were discriminated against. uh, And you could argue that it's among the creoles that the beginnings of Filipino naturalism first emerged coming out of this sense of being discriminated against. In fact, uh, you could go further and say that Part of what the, made the Philippine Revolution of 1896 uh, possible was racial discrimination. That revo- the revolution was a race war. It was a race war mm. between uh, those who identified as Filipinos, which originally meant Spaniards born in the Philippines, and it eventually came to mean everyone who was connected in some form or the other to the Philippines, versus the Spaniards, who did, certainly did not see themselves as Filipinos, who thought that they were superior to the Philippines. Right. Uh and, and 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 you could extend it to, to the Filipino American war, which also was uh, even more of a race yes. war, you know, given Manifest Destiny, white right. et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But, but this is what this is what you do. Like you teach
1: this, so you know all of this, right? <laughs> but this for shit. me, you know this shit, right? <laughs> like this is this is your jam. Okay. So okay. no one No one stepped to Vince unless you got your shit together. I get it. (laughs) But like when I was 13, and maybe it's because I was Mapote here and my father was a white American, right? So when I was growing, like I know obviously not as much as you, but I know more of this now, but I didn't discover that till later. To me, what was quote normal was culture club was like tears for fears or whatever the fuck I was listening to at the time. I didn't really... If, you know, of course, we all listen to Motown and disco and all of this stuff, but it didn't quite gel in my head. And certainly thinking about Chinese-Filipino history, Aita history, all of that stuff for me was not real growing up. Are you
4: like for you it was from from when you were young? The reality came in dispersed, fragmented fashion. It wasn't systematically taught. Right. right. You didn't, you didn't Still have, isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the institutional channels for talking about race and racism were sort of uh, very schematic. Yes. Uh, for example, you didn't have Jim Crow laws. That's right? true. Mm-hmm. So if you were a Christian, you wanted to marry a Moro, or you wanted to marry a, if you were a Mestiza and you wanted to marry a Chinese, there were no laws. Yeah, fire away. From doing it, right. So there, there, were different, there were different ways of institutionalizing it, a lot of it very informal. Right. So, as, as a result, they seeped into your consciousness, but they did so in all kinds of dispersed, fragmented ways. And again, Leela can, can talk about Yeah, more. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, she was at the forefront.
0: I think it's not that we, we didn't experience it. I mean, it, it, I think we perceived it. Maybe we, we weren't really face to face with it growing up, but you could see the hierarchies, like you said. Oh, yeah. For like, sure. I, I think us being mestiza. You know, white passing. We were insulated a little, a little bit because we were at the top of the racial chain, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the hierarchy. I, yes. I, I, I mean, there were still yeah. Spanish I, people, but you know, we understood the pecking order and we understood our privilege within that pecking order. So, I think to say that, I think we perceived it, but we didn't perceive it in the way that we were. We were the oppressed ones. We were okay, the ones benefiting from being at the top. Yeah, please, Lila. I'd love to hear your yeah.
1: experience.
2: Okay, so um, I I totally hear you, but it's clear to me that my experience is very different from Mm
1: -hmm, yours. mm -hmm.
2: Just as a quick backgrounder, my dad was Indian, Mm -hmm. my mom was Benai, and because of my mom's work, we had to live all over the world. And there were countries that were fairly unusual, like Romania, Hungary, mm-hmm. Australia, Austria, Kenya, Mexico, right? And, exactly. and then college in the state, grad school in England, blah, 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 right? So I mentioned that because it's actually pertinent mm-hmm. to what Vince mentioned earlier about my having been perpetually expressory. Mm -hmm. But in a sense, for example, when I was five years old, my mother put me in a Mandarin Chinese school and I, yeah, Immaculate Conception Academy. Here, here in Manila, right? You were, you were in Manila. Okay. Yes. I was the only Mumbai, you know, Mm -hmm. in class. Wow. And everybody (laughs) was speaking Mandarin in class and then Amoy in the corridors. And I had no idea what anybody was saying mm-hmm. for years, for the first few years. So you can imagine the kind of intellectual violence that does to someone oh, yeah. I mean, where you're completely at a loss. Yeah. Right. And, and
1: multiple levels kid, of othering. No, Lila. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and as a kid, you know, I had a unibrow and I, you know, I was dark and I had hairy legs and, you know, whatever. And they were all like, really beautiful uh eyes and, you know, and it didn't help that I had orthopedic shoes and, you know, so. Girl, the point that might the be point a whole other
1: episode. Okay. Yeah, but
2: the point is stuff. that when I went to Romania as a nine-year-old in the communist uh, regime of Ceausescu, I was the only person of color in a school where the only language of instruction was Romanian. So, and then when I went to Australia, it was during the time of the Vietnamese boat people coming into Australia. And so everybody called me a wog, like a foreigner. So I don't want to go on and on, but, but high school in Vienna where, you know, the very Germanic, you know, kind of uh, racism, you know, in a, in a very, Uh, sophisticated way was you know was the way I grew up so the point I'm making is that there was a very strange reaction to me in the Philippines Mm. because I have a longer nose and so people consider that to be beautiful right on the other hand I have dark skin, and that was my fatal flaw in the mestizahe hierarchy, right? So it's like, ang ganda mo naman kaya lang hindi ka You know, so there was that. You know, you know. Oh, If only it were so that your melanin content were not thus and thus. Wow, Lila, so close, and yet, yeah. and yet. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's kind oh of God, like eh? exoticism in America or in the West, yeah. you know, the Philippines. It's like, well, you're kind of an exotic mestiza, right? And what is very interesting about that is when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, there was this absolute disdain that we were Mumbai.
1: Yes, right. I remember that. It was an absolute it was absolute awful.
2: I mean, and I would walk around with my yaya, like I wanted to see Kiapo, right, I wanted right. to see Luneta, so I would take a Jeep, you know, and they would be like, Ay no, Arbiana, o you know, and it's like Filipinos have no subtlety whatsoever for the most None, part. Nah. So yeah. they're like, Ay yo, and no. like they'll point at your nose, and it's like, you know, So, this was my life. And then India became the superpower. Right. You know, and then I slowly noticed, even with my own brothers who were embarrassed about Mm. our Indian background. And this was me. I went to grad school in India, and I went to England to study Indian literature. And everyone in my family was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> like, what you know, like, the mga Bumbay, are you even interested in them? And then we become they become a superpower, right? And suddenly everybody's like, Oh, Leela has all these Indian connections. <laughs> <laughs> so, mga so, I, yeah, so I would say that my experience of the Philippines coming from a socially elite but not economically elite mm-hmm. background. Protestant in a country that is Catholic.
5: Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, is that, like, for example, my uncle, Fidel Ramos, he had a really hard time because he was Protestant.
5: Hmm. And then my
2: mother, when she was campaigning, her last name was Shahani. And yeah. her marketers were like, Mom, hindi namin alam kung na. <laughs> Pwede ba Tagalogin? Ano po ba ang maiden name nila? <laughs> So that's why they coined the sha 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 right. si le ti sha. That whole like we play yeah. jingle on the cha cha, which right. my mother was a terrible dancer, but for some reason, <laughs> I'm just saying that my experience of the Philippines is that it is overwhelmingly sort of
1: Spanish Catholic mm-hmm. social elite iconography Mm -mm. so you know okay uh, Lila what I have to make sure people understand is I don't know if people have been picking up the snippets here but Lila comes from rather political royal stock in the Philippines with tremendous achievements on both sides uh really of her family and she herself I think why we don't talk about it so much is you yourself are so accomplished you know what I mean but uh, I did want to make sure to mention that what I think is interesting is just on this call, looking around, no, because I know what you mean also, Lila, when you, you talked about having a straight nose, but not being mapute. In my case, it was being mapute, but not the right kind of mapute. Like I still yeah. look, I still look too Asian. So um, a lot of my friends, it's funny. Oh you know, yeah. Depending on where I was, like for my family that comes from rural Bugo, Cebu in the seventies, when I would go there, I was like a, I was a ghost. I was maputla. And I really experienced people forming a ring around me and poking me to see if I was real. No. Right? Oh yeah, this was in the 70s. Um, but then when I got to Manila, depending, you know, I went to Saint's Coast. It was a pretty broad tiba, mix of people. Depending again there, I was either the white one or I was the pangit one among the mestizas because they looked properly Latina, right? <laughs> or properly Italian or whatever the hell it was. So... I get that very much. And what's interesting to me is, for example, the experience of Luis and Bambina, who really grew up here as the top of the food chain. I mean, this was the ideal that everyone was supposed to aspire to, looking very European, very white.
0: So at this, and everyone like, who was pregnant wanted to be near you. I mean, <laughs> you know, I would have people because they're hoping that their daughter or their their kid would be white as well, like me, you know, when they when they when they gave birth. It's just. Bizarre, But what I wanted to ask also was race is one thing and racism is another. I mean, we talk about how we look down, I mean, historically look down on, on the Negritos, the Aitas, and then the Chinese, we have our own terms, and the Bombays, and all that do we have the structures, the racial infrastructure that, that permanently others them or disadvantages them? Like in the way, like in the States where yeah. black people wouldn't be able to get bank loans or their yeah. housing, price, yeah, housing prices would be deflated, undervalued, I would say, and certain areas, especially in like the public school system, the red light, the neighborhoods, right? I mean, they would be kept out of certain neighborhoods so that they wouldn't go to the better schools. You know, I don't, think that exists here. So. Sure it does. I think it sure, does. Sure it does. Sure it does. It does? It uh, yeah.
4: Yeah. 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 Yeah, in relation to Indigenous people. Yeah. Uh, yes, indigenous yes.
0: definitely the, the LUMADs. The, and
4: the, yeah, the LUMADs have historically yeah. been discriminated against, and, yeah. you know, educational system, economic system, all of that have been structured to yes. exclude them yeah. or to exploit them, or both.
1: Actually, think, for our Indigenous people, Vince, I think for me, huh, the goal was really erasure. Sure. It wasn't even to keep them in a lower rung of society, but really, they're just the absent Filipino. When we talk about the Philippines, the indigenous people aren't so much discussed. But Go ahead, Lila. Sorry. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, when I was uh, still head of UNESCO Philippines, we did a lot of work with DepEd on school curricula. And, you know, we really have a problematic set of secondary school textbooks. They're not secular. It's very much a Catholic Mm God. And what is sort of a source of real concern? Because we were part of this big global movement to stop xenophobia in our own societies, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So Mm -hmm. my job was to look at where that happens and how. Right, mm-hmm. and you know, Filipinos are very mobile, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. We're nice, we're you know, we're not like nasty and violent for the most part, right? right. But if you look at the president, yeah, okay, okay, the bill not, we will not go there, yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah, okay. I was having a nice day, okay,
1: sorry, <laughs>
0: no, it wasn't you know, I'm preparing to arm myself like a civilian uh, now. Thinking,
1: thinking about everyone's safety here, could you nip that shit in the bud? Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm trying to protect you. Okay. No, I was going to say that the school textbooks are really
2: problematic. Yeah. The museum exhibit texts the historical markers put out by the National Historical Commission. If you sit down and you look at the texts, Mm -hmm. okay, the implicit ideology is Spanish, Catholic, Mm -hmm. male, elite narratives. And fine, we know that already, but the point that is more important is that is the invisibility of Muslims Mm -hmm. and the invisibility of Indigenous people in mainstream textbooks. Now, what is even more alarming is that IPs, because of the Department of Education policies, are are tasked to learn about themselves. Mm. And Muslims have a curriculum where they learn about themselves. Right. And the same is true of persons with disability. Mm-hmm. And if you can believe it, they're all in the same sort of other category. God. So they study <laughs> themselves. That is so So there's up. a lot of sort of self knowledge, race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Muslim. But for the mainstream Catholic, uh, going to Ateneo
1: and San yeah, and LaSalle they don't read about these people. Yeah. Or if so, they do, you know, I'd argue there's something we evolved from. No? Yeah, so it's, it's it, in it, our past. In yeah. English, it's, it's, it's textual invisibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> another, sure. and, and I, I was having this sort of vigorous arguments with Depp Ed and my own UNESCO staff because they couldn't get what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you want to stop xenophobia... No, they're like, oh, we have to educate the Muslims not to be violent. And no, no. Oh, my God.
0: Uh, and I, it's so stereotypical, right? They forget so put crazy. them in this corner <laughs>
2: saying... <laughs> I'm getting really stressed
0: out. Listen, <laughs> you
2: guys, if you want to fight xenophobia, oh, no. <laughs> then you have to teach the elite yeah. Catholic people who bomb Mindanao exactly. you know, and do all kinds of all
1: levels of genocide, they're the ones who need to learn about these others. And naman in the States, right? Like it's the job of the women. It's the job of Black people. It's the bl- exactly. job of whatever to fix this shit. And parang, like, uh, no, dude, Parang, like it's your
0: job. No, but the thing <laughs> is opposite. like what you're saying about invisibility, Lila. It, it's like Aitas and even the ones from Mindanao, the, the Muslims, they were so far away from our everyday reality, right? Because they were somewhere else you know, it's, it's a kind of myopia that we have as well, right? That they don't exist around us. So we don't really have to care. So they're just reading a postscript in a history book is how we think about it. So, and, and then we also think like you, you kind of touched on it earlier, you and Vince that the whole colonization project was supposedly about civilization, right? Civilizing the primitive peoples. Mm. And the primitive peoples were, the you know, all these not marginalized, but historically oppressed. And we feel like, oh, that's not us because we've been civilized. We identify with the colonizer, right? I mean, no matter what you say, you can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the Spanish did this and that. But it's still our ideal in terms of, you know, social hierarchy and everything. It was never
2: I, I, no, yeah.
0: it, no, not it's yours, not yeah. yours. Yeah, I'm just saying, the, I mean, maybe Vince, am I right? But Filipinos mm-hmm. in general, right? It was always a sort of emulation to be better. But, and that role model was white, white, right. Western, Christian, Catholic. Maybe whatever, not European. English By the people, time
1: I was, for me, huh, it was decidedly American. Like, no one talked to me about trying to yeah. be Spanish. They were all like, you got to be like, I don't know, Barra whoever the fuck
3: well so, uh, there, there's a couple of things that i've been i've been it's been just really interesting to hear the background because yes i grew up in mexico as well so when vince started talking about you know the social structures it immediately reminded me of how much more deep the the caste structure that was put forward in mexico mm. uh, you know it was so apparent i mean and and it was really like you know like you were talking about creoles so creoles uh, we didn't have insulares or peninsulares so it was what we called criollos so the creoles but then it was if there's White with Filipino, it's this. If then there's there's white and black, it's uh, mulatto and then if it's with a, a native uh, Mexican you know ethnicity group um, Sambo and then there's this. I mean, the pyramid was. Grabier. It would go on forever, right? It was incredible. So I mean, and there it's were funny African
1: to... Mexicans also,
3: but oh no, absolutely, because absolutely, they weren't
1: even included in surveys and stuff, no. No, I mean there, yeah, mm-hmm.
3: absolutely. I mean there were some of them, depending on again and the level. You know, from mulatto was up in the hierarchy, sambo was down there, and there's everything in between. The funny part on the other side was that Filipinos were actually considered sort of Spanish as part of the colony. So people who came to Mexico from uh, the Philippines in the in the Manila galleon, right, or the Capulco galleon, were actually afforded services like health services, where other people from probably the, the obviously the slaves, etc., etc., from 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 Africa or mixed people were not. So so that was that was very interesting because it was happening also at the same time. Right, and so, a lot of you, the,
1: you. Am I right in saying that you had Bambina similar experience and you were at the top of the food chain for the most part? and.
3: Yeah, I, I did not live in, in the Philippines. I would come here on vacation. But what I was we were made... were in Mexico what I was made to be well in Mexico it was almost immediate right because people would again not identify me with Filipino at all it was something that would I, I would always say and I will always be proud of but people would immediately identify me as European as Spanish right yeah. so that was not a question anymore mm-hmm. I, I don't think that Mexico had the same power or hierarchy distance that the Philippines um, had or still has today because there's a much more diverse population that includes Let's say people from the Middle East. So you had a lot of Syrian people, a lot of Jewish people, which is the second largest community outside of Israel and the U.S. You had a lot of Lebanese people, and then you know Eastern Europeans who fled the the beginning of the the 20th century. It was a very mixed mixed population, right? So somehow, I think in Mexico, in my experience, people sort of were Mexican first, and then we were something else. But we were all under a Mexican sort of flag basically, which in my experience coming to the Philippines, visiting my family here, it was decidedly different where, no, you are Spanish Filipino, you are Chinese Filipino, you are Indian Filipino and we would not really, really mix. We knew of each other. Some of us would attend same parties, but it's like oh, you know, they're that group or this group or you know, in sports, in sports um, games, right? It was like the Pinois versus the Tisois, right and it was the groups were like that you know playing tennis or playing whatever yes it was similar but I think the Philippines being as much smaller society at the top and those power structures were so much more intense obviously the, the experience was much more different here it was much we're more obvious country, no? so yeah absolutely
1: so I'm curious actually guys not like You know, we're talking a lot about history and how we grew up thinking or not thinking about race and maybe when we started learning about it and stuff. But like today, the Philippines of today, right? I think some people would argue, no, it's much more quote woke. It's much more racially aware. And I think there's some truth to that. But if you really look at it, Uh Black Lives Matter, like all of the, the protests against police brutality that was sparked in part by George Floyd, right? The murder of George Floyd. Wala talaga si I mean, you know, we were not in the streets. We were not anything. And killer. Can I talk about this, Bams? I could not believe we had a um, a fairly. <laughs> am I allowed to talk about this? Okay. We had a fairly big group here locally. That's, you know, society and about design and whatever, whatever. And they had a big campaign where they got a black model who had a scarf around his neck. And I can't oh, believe yeah. printed on it. As some sort of statement of alliance. I don't even know. And then we have what I made cuento last, I have one of our other things with the beauty pageants. Miss Canada this year apparently is African Canadian. And oh my God, she got so much racial stuff on her Instagram feed and
0: mostly from Pinoy beauty pageant fans, right? So, well, because she fought, I mean, get a spat or so with a Filipino designer. Right. And so, you know, you had all these Pinoy's coming out against her on social media, which is like ridiculous. And of course, what do they go after?
1: It's her her Africanness, right? Her her race, basically. But so I'm curious to see, like Vince, Lila, what have you seen? Have you seen any kind of evolution in these attitudes or how it's different now from when it was before? In the
2: in
5: the Philippines.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or Filipino Americans okay. for that matter. I'm really curious about that too. Okay. So I am uh, a
2: member of the International Council on Monuments and Sites, right? Mm-hmm. And so ICOMOS Philippines, ICOMOS Paris, ICOMOS US. And when the George Floyd stuff escalated, I SOS the people in Manila. And I said, you know, we really have to talk about race, you know, I mean, about our monuments, you know, we need to discuss it. You know, everyone is tearing down monuments, all Mm -hmm. over the world, Confederate statues. We need to have cold scrutiny about what has been monumentalized is mm-hmm. all, you know, like every, you know, UNESCO, you know, San Agustin Church. It's all Augustinian friars, right? You know, why do we not have any mosques in the mm-hmm. official NCCA yeah, list,
5: yeah. Not, in the yeah.
2: national museum lists? Yeah. Why don't we have any dais? You know, Holy from shit. you know, this never even
1: occurred to me. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So. I, I SOSed everybody and, you know, I said, I know you think that, you know, Black Lives Matter doesn't really apply to us because, and, and, and you know, they were really, of course, they were all souls, And I mean, everybody who ha- is in heritage work in the Philippines is... Practically half Spanish, you know, owns the hacienda and blah, 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 which is fine. I have no problem with that. But the idea of heritage is that you just accumulate and collect and Mm -hmm. sell among yourselves in galleries and auction houses. And you don't really analyze it Mm -hmm. ideologically, you just kind of like preserve it. And you never have a conversation about what is being represented. Right. So, you know, I, I I kind of demanded that the group discuss this Mm-mm. and, you know, they're all my friends, they're wonderful people, but you could see how uncomfortable yeah, they were at the idea that all of these things that they held to be natural. National monuments, you know, and, 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 and Luis, you talked about the galleon trade and, you know, I mean, there's so many things like Magellan, galleon trade, you know, how are Filipinos actually represented mm-hmm. in those narratives, right? Is it actually empowering Mm-mm. in terms of symbolism of Filipinos. So now, and, Lila, what do you think? Do black lives matter to Pinoys?
1: Well, That's ultimately the question, ba? Right?
2: Well, first of all, we're extremely xenophobic and we're extremely colorist. That's yes. been my experience and I've mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah, we are. But it's really funny how we're so defensive about saying... Well, yeah, you know what? Come to think of it, you know, I do look down on you know the in chicks because they're mercantile and they're kind of like in you know binondo and you know it's like mom and look and, and, and God,
1: Forbes, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, I mean, and and uh, an and, apartment and, and building in Singapore, yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> so um, and it's funny because like I was. It, it was like no one in the Philippines won. And I was saying, every, every statue, uh. every, everything that is in the NCCA, National Museum, UNESCO list is primarily Spanish Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you not think that, you know, we should Naman... You know, and then like Lapu-Lapu is kind of not terribly historical, Mm. you know. So it's almost as if a couple of things were happening. One is when I would say, why was the comfort woman statue, why were they pulled down? Mm. You know, and why did nobody talk about sexual slavery during Mm. the Mm. Japanese occupation? Everyone would get so uncomfortable. And then I would say, well, what about OFWs? I mean, mm. there are lots of poor people who yeah. should be, you know, represented and who are part of our heritage. Mm-hmm. Right. So and what is interesting is like for my first job after college, I worked in CCP. CCP. And these were the Cori Aquino years. So it was like suddenly post Imelda Marcos, you know, we're Filipinizing, we're democratizing, we're, we're you know, going into ethnicity, you know, we're going to do outreach, which is great. But it was almost like the narrative was, we have to create a Filipino identity hmm. and it got to be more filipino than thou you got it and it's pre-colonial you know and it was like sure let's well, be pre-colonial but you we gotta be empirical naman and you know mm-hmm. there was like people were so obsessed with romanticizing the ethnic mm-hmm. you know and fast forward to today where I mean, NCCA does not want to put on its official list things that are contemporary. Like, uh, it's all like pre colonial stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think this, like, Pantayong, Pananao, Tadhana, you know, like more Filipino than thou, we only speak Tagalog, backlash. To cultural imperialism, it can be equally dangerous because yeah. it privileges Tagalog culture yeah. as if it's the only culture in this complex. archipelago
3: exactly. You know, I think
1: if I that doesn't, I uh, know that doesn't at all fly. But yeah, go Lou.
3: Yeah, no, because there, there are two things that I'm thinking of right now. The first of all is the fact that you know, growing up uh, in the Philippines, let's say in the non. And the non-elites, it feels like the narrative has been on for over 300 years to the point where people today still grow up and they believe that that power structure is correct and it is and it's the only way out. And the and the. Re- Respect that people afford you know uh, lighter skinned people or the americans or the foreigners i mean it's it's obvious when 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 we receive foreigners here how we it's not just that we are open and hospitable but there is an added sort of godsend you know the uh, way of they're treating them right they're, they're held, held up sure. right so so it, it seems like that's 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 the first part of it that it's like we've been vaccinated with that type of mentality which takes me to the second point which I, I I see a lot of more in the older generations than the newer ones but we are not a country that questions ourselves we don't actually go deep into saying why is this happened we may basically take everything for granted and, and allow things to be as is and so that has not permitted that evolution when you actually talk to people who have gone abroad who have come back and are like exposed to these you know sort of thoughts you know just you, you know philosophical differences you're like oh my god now i realize this so there's a sort of awakening but locally it's very very difficult because these these um again it's in the dna almost right mm. and that's very with- very difficult to change from the bottom up
1: okay that may- i totally agree with you Lou, and i think you know i really want to i'm very curious especially because vince and lila are in the states right So. We have a history as Filipino Americans of actually, you know, getting down and dirty for in civil rights, fights for civil rights. We talked a little bit before about it was Itliong, no, who was with yeah. Chavez for the, the big strike. And yeah. so I'm curious. Yeah. So, parang now between Black Lives Matter and the, the momentum that that had last summer and also Stop Asian Hate right, which was earlier this yes. year. Yep. What have you seen, Vince? I'm really curious also among your students because you teach, you teach kids now, right? Sure. So parang, what are you seeing? Are you seeing Filipino-Americans being more aware, more involved, more apathetic? I don't know. I'm curious.
4: Yeah, uh, certainly one of the things that's happened since George Floyd uh, is the uh, rise in uh, uh, racial consciousness, if you will, mm. People looking uh, not just uh, at racist incidents in isolation as individual acts, but actually looking at the structural construction of racism and seeing how race figures centrally in much of social life today and much of political life today. And, and then the accompanying backlash against that, you know, which, which in, in, in the last few months have centered around uh, you know, what they've been calling critical race theory. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Hasn't that been deep? That's Hasn't right. that <laughs> been, oh, I'm sorry.
1: That, that hit me personally. I was like,
4: motherfucker, now you care. Okay, listen. Sorry, go ahead. So <laughs> The backlash against this, this phantom and mm-hmm. race theory I think, yeah, epitomizes a sort of white backlash against the, the, the rising, you know, <laughs> racial consciousness. Added to that is the the anti-Asian violence that's been going on—I mean, it hasn't stopped. Yeah, uh, it, there hasn't been as much publicity lately. But uh, I was just reading something from the Los Angeles Times today, and the incidents keep rising. I mean, it's really quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Jesus, in you, Jesus. So and, and so 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 in, in combi- the, the combination of these factors have made uh, you know race front and center in, in in people's discussion of what's going on. Both uh, a sort of a liberal. Uh, sort of understanding of race as something mm-hmm. that's actually, uh, built into society versus the conservative backlash against that, that wants to wants to deny that, wants to disavow that, and, and wants to treat race as individual acts, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. be treated as, as as individual sort of, you know, uh, sort of uh, problems rather than mm-hmm. something that needs to be treated uh, in relation to, yes, for example, right. Educational policy, right. policy. The prison system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the prison system and so forth. So, so I think this, this, this is what the, the debate has not come down to. Now, how much of that has reached the Philippines? Uh, I doubt it. I mean, because, again, because it is yeah. dramatically different conditions in, in, mm-hmm. in one place versus another. Uh, and, and I think the example of Mexico is sort of an interesting intermediary because, of course, in Mexico, what you have is a little bit of both. You know, I mean, what you what you have in Mexico is, as Luis knows is is a, a very fle- what well, you know what I would call a flexible racial system. Right, mm-hmm. the, the fact that the Spaniards never had Jim Crow. I mean, you could mm-hmm. actually intermarry, which is why you had all those different castas. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and uh, you, you had a you had a hierarchy. It was a hierarchy. That was not that was not rigid. Mm-hmm. People had different ways of maneuvering around it. And I think something like that happens in the Philippines too. You know. So you have you have the historic prejudice against the Chinese, but at the same time uh, you had a Spanish government that actually encouraged uh, intermarriage, intermarriage and, a, yeah. and Catholic women. So you produced uh, a mestizo population out of which became a Histonized group that, of course, led uh, the nationalist movement in the nineteenth century. Sareesati so being a perfect example of that. Right. So you had you also had this. In other words, it was very contradictory. Mm. Uh, it, it wasn't homogeneous. It wasn't um, a monolith. Right. Uh, and and different people had different ways of of of, of getting around it. Uh, if if you weren't uh, racially sort of uh, part of the privileged group, uh, you could make up for it by being wealthy. Uh, and buy yourself buy yourself, the privilege. If, if, you, if, you, if you didn't have the phenotype, uh, you could at least have the, 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 the riches yeah, to do it. Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: No, I'm just wondering, like, well, we're going back to history again, but I'm just wondering if that has something to do with the fact that we were actually administered out of Mexico and not from Spain. Right. I mean, when you compare it to what's hap- what happened in the U.S., Historically, I mean, the Black, you know, Africans were brought into the continent to work and everything, you know, everything was there within one country, right? And all these institutions that were created to perpetuate the system and Jim Crow and all that, which is still going on one way or another now. Whereas with us, there was that room for flexibility because we were being administered from another department, kind of very far away from here. And there were ways of, of advancing in society, either, maybe that's also how corruption started in a way, right? And mm-hmm. in ingratiating yourself with the gobernador, or the alcalde, or whatever you call it, right? I mean, or like you said, if you had money, then you could buy your way out of it, or okay. you, you, know, you gained some I kind have,
1: of... Social but what I want to make sure, so maybe we can go over some of that, Bams, but I really would like to also touch a bit on the colorism in the Philippines, um, mm-hmm. you know, today. Right? Because I do think we're seeing more multiracial representation in our ads and all that shit. But, you know, may mga whitening whitening cream. And I know that Vince, for example, has posted on Facebook about, iba yung ano eh, iba yung whitening ng gusto ng ng Pilipinas. It's not quite the same, because it really isn't. As you pointed out, many people here, we don't have the same racism or the same history of racism as the United States, no? But I do think that whitening, Thing probably should be touched on. No, know.
0: but they say they're they're trying to say now brightening instead of whitening, you know, and where's the Chinese? Which is a approach- legitimate dermatological claim, if I yes, may. Exactly. Actually,
1: lightening, brightening, yeah. because it has to do with hyperpigmentation, but that's a different discussion yes. together. So <laughs>
5: the
0: Chinese, the Chinese are saying why are they why are they being, you know, criticized for wanting to be well, they consider themselves fair, right? Mm. I mean, the Chinese in general. So they shouldn't be accused of, of being racist. I mean, that, that's a different story, right? Chinese racism. I mean, I lived in Hong Kong and I, there would always be in the South China Morning Post people complaining, Guaylos complaining. Well, they call us Guaylos we're dirty devils or, you know, where and, or they've called, been the Chinese, someone would say, oh yeah, but I've been to Spain where they call me Chino Cochino. You know, so... <laughs> It was just a never-ending barrage of letters being exchanged to the editor in the South China Morning Post.
3: Can we say that colorism stems from fear here, locally?
0: Um, otherness, I guess, in a way, and not so much fear. I would say that maybe it was just perception of what would get you more ahead. You know,
1: it seems like a, to me, huh, and you know, being in the industry where I have to, I have to skate this really rather adeptly. I think because historically it's been a physical marker of your status, correct? How light. Like, That's my how point. How matangos your ilongwas and all yes. this stuff. Now, I know the Philippines, I mean, just from my business, has been much more open towards having, you know, Indian Filipinos, Chinese Filipinas, all these things, even African, African Latino models and stuff. But, you know, the whitening market is no joke. We don't participate in that. Because I find it offensive personally, but yeah, I mean, how how what is colorism in our country, right? And how is that different from say the way we understand race or racism? Um, is, is
3: it more is it more economical in our country somehow?
2: Well, you see, um, Laura, you want to talk about colorism in the Philippines. I actually want to address the earlier thread about race, Asian, racism against Asians and Blacks.
1: in the Oh, United. yeah, sure. Please, Lila. Yeah, so yeah,
2: yeah. Is that all right? If I just... Totally. Yeah. yeah and and at well, I, I do see. want to get back to your question about whether it's economics. I'm going to try and answer everything in the best way I can. Number one, I've always wondered why the Spaniards did not teach Filipinos Spanish,
0: Spanish. Yeah, well, that, that I can interject very yeah. quickly
3: because it was the it was the it was the priests who decided to keep the politics out of that, and yeah. so they decided to learn the native languages so that they could keep the Spanish crown from coming into the Philippines.
2: Yeah, I agree, um, but I think that the result of that is all the the alegría that surrounds. Spanish and Hispanic cultures, you know, Mm -hmm. all the Goya, Velasquez, Gaudi, you know, all the incredible things, Diego Rivera, the the whole world. We don't have access to that. I mean, our knowledge of Spain is Catholicism. So that's a very limiting thing. So that's the first thing Uh, about the U.S., I just want to say having gone to college here and with with in the same place as Laura and having worked in New York for 17 years before going back to the Philippines to work in government, and then having come back to the US last year and joined the Biden Harris campaign, I noticed a few things. One is that relative to the rest of the Western world. Uh, England and France included, Americans at least discuss race Mm -hmm. in, you know, school, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like if you went to Russia, you know, the level of racism is abominable, right? right? But there's no conversation. So Mm -hmm. the good news is in America, at least they talk about it. In school. Now, certainly when I was at Brown, it was like the main topic of conversation, like every day, right? But somehow, fast forward to 2020, 2021, I'm in this new American universe where they seem to think the white people I encounter, they seem to like to think that they're in a post racial universe mm-hmm. right so it's like oh well, we're all postponed okay so mm-hmm. what that means is for someone like me who's worked in the UN you know my favorite thing to do is to say hi you know are you from Lithuania I noticed that you blunt your consonants you know and, and is that you know where do you, you know I've yeah. been there you know I love doing that with taxi drivers mm-hmm. but now it's like not politically correct. You know, you do not, do not, do not ask somebody where they're from these days. You certainly do not say, and of course, Vincent, you should say, where is your family from originally, or where did you grow up? That's a more politically correct way, but it's almost as if Everybody gets really angry, like they obviously they sound Vietnamese, they look Vietnamese, but if you say, hey, you know, I mean, where are you from originally? You're like, I'm from Toronto, or I'm from, you know, Boston, you know, and they're like angry that you're questioning their Americanness. So mm-hmm. that has been a sort of uncomfortable observation on my part. And then the other thing I was going to say is in the Biden-Harris campaign, I observed how many conflicts there were among the Asian Americans, like ideological, like very deep historical fights between the... You know, the Republicans and the Democrats vis a vis Asian ness. And Filipinos were so divided because of the issue of abortion. Abortion. So yeah. So it was basically like, you know, I'm going to be for Biden if I think abortion is okay. And otherwise, I'm going to be with the Republicans. So the deep, dark secret, I feel, that does not get discussed is violence of Blacks against Asians. I mean, it's an empirical fact. You know, I mean, we're always talking about, you know, white violence against Blacks, right? We know that the police don't have that much violence against Asians because Asians tend to keep their heads down. Right. But there has been a lot of anti-Asian violence mm-hmm. perpetrated by blacks. And when you bring this up with friends of color, everybody gets really uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, my God, you know, we're supposed to be together. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, this is we have fought in a solidarity for all these years. And you're questioning that unity. And it's like, it's a problem hmm. that needs to be discussed. Yeah. So that's, those are some of my,
0: my thoughts. No, I was also going to say that, like, I lived in South Africa for 10 years and race is very much at the forefront of everything. Even if they like to think they're a post-racial society, the fact that the most disadvantaged people economically are still Black people means that race is still a factor in in in. in everything it informs everything that's happening in, in that country but i remember again as a white passing person and sometimes for a lot of people i looked a little. if they knew i was a little bit asian i was also in a different category right but i remember going to the bank once and opening an account and they asked me to indicate my race and i wasn't offended because i i knew it was for statistical purposes they wanted to see later on you know how decades after a decade or so after um the b- democracy was restored where are we at now and so i said look i really don't know how to answer this i didn't, don't know what box, box to tick right they said oh well what's your passport so i was there in a spanish passport right so i said spanish oh then you're white i said look i have never thought of myself as completely white in my entire life i mean i've taken advantage of the fact that i look white but you know it's a different story to actually mark myself as white and then they said, okay, well, what's, what, what else are you? I said, well, you know, I was born in the Philippines. Oh, so you're Asian. I said, well, not exactly because Asian there meant Indian and, and uh, you know, Muslim. Um, so, And then they said, oh, well, so what's your, are you mixed? I said, well, yeah, Spanish and Filipino. Oh, you're colored. I said, great. I'm going to put colored. So I put colored. You know, but I'm just saying that in in a lot of societies, you can't really escape from it, but I think they i don't I don't know if they're more open about it in South Africa. I mean, there is a lot of, you know, historically a lot of things to to repair in within the society. There are a lot of what's the term for that? Yeah, reparations. There's a lot of adjustments to be made in the the structure of the economy, so that there's more participation by black people. But then again, like you were talking about, like in the struggle for, for democracy, and the Indian people and the Jews, the Jewish South Africans were very much involved with, uh, with Black South Africans to fight for, for democracy, to fight for freedom. So, okay, so
1: you know, what I'm sh- sort of taking away from this, guys, is Filipinos, honestly, like to Luis's point earlier, we don't tend to talk about this necessarily, or at least we don't tend to question a lot of the stuff that's still in place. Um, you know Vince was pointing out there is at least a rising consciousness here. it seems there's um, a backlash to that that you know, I guess is expected, right? I mean, there always is. And I think to Leela's point earlier, which I loved hearing is at least it's talked about, right? And so I think at the very least, um, Leela mentioned it, Vince mentioned it also in terms of our textbooks, in terms of our monuments and whatever. if we can I don't know if we need to evolve. Yeah. If we can at least get so that talking about it is not, is not taboo, right? It's something that we can, you know, be sincerely openly interested in wanting to learn more about, hopefully wanting to improve, then we might actually get somewhere. But on that note, I really do have to go. And I'm sorry. I really thought that we would be, you know, (laughs) i An told you i told you
3: we needed three <laughs>
1: holy shit man i mean i yeah so okay i mean I, honestly i so we can close this out later but i want to know you know lila and vince you guys are so busy with all that you're doing so i'm also nervous about asking you back for like another half hour to close this out and Not maybe much. talk about some stuff or we can do a part two
3: I would right. like a part two, I think.
1: It's such a yeah, I'd love a part two. Yeah. You
2: know? I just want to sort of end with one thought. Is one thing I've noticed about the American market is that a lot of many uh, businesses will identify themselves as Black owned businesses
5: mm-hmm.
2: or Hispanic owned businesses. Mm-hmm. That never happens with Asians. And I believe it has to do with fear mm. and uh, a desire to assimilate to the point of invisibility. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about that.
1: I think that's actually really that's a great to topic. About, yeah, you know, yeah. assimilate I'm to the point of invisibility. Phenomenal.
2: In, in the context of COVID, I've been doing a lot oh. of online shopping. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Retail therapy, retail therapy in Okay, Vince, what do you want to leave us off with a, a thought or a buy or something? And then, uh, I think
4: one of the ways to make sense of race in the Philippines is to talk about it uh, as a conjuncture that is to say, mm-hmm. so conjoint. You got to talk about
1: there. Like to I, totally, about agree. I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. That's another topic. <laughs> yeah. That's another episode. Thing,
2: that's the only thing that insulated me as a Bumbay. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. No yeah. that because
1: of that. And, you know, I'm always such a proponent. And I think Luis and Bambina have always said this. We can't talaga talk about race without talking about power. Because well, at yeah. the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. one thing for me to have an opinion. It's another if my opinion means you don't get a freaking job and I do. Diba? Yeah. So, OK, on that note, maybe, guys, we close and we say goodbye. Thank you so much <laughs> to the Vince. Truly, Thank true, you. I mean, Thank you. I should have known it was going to be this meaty, but I didn't quite expect a freaking hero that was like nine feet long on top of Bolognese <laughs> and Pansir and Lechon that this was going to be. So clearly there's a lot more we need to discuss. And yeah, so abangan. We will have a part two. Maybe even a part three kasi ang daming pag-uusapan. But thank Thank you guys so very much. Thank
5: you. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much. Till next one. Bye. Well, was it worth it? Did we work it? Put that thing down. Flip it and reverse it. Keep flipping with us. Subscribe to Flipping the Narrative wherever you get your podcasts to listen to our new episodes as soon as they drop. We're on social media too.
3: Follow at Flipping the Narrative on Instagram and Facebook and let us know what you think. Or send us an email at flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. That's flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com.
1: Music courtesy of "Kumbia Mamacita by Yoki of Ozum Beats. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Josel Gaston, our sound editor and musical engineer and podcast advisor and overall guru, and to Nami Kapati, the artist who created our awesome logo and visuals. Till we flip again.